theyeshiva.net. So, this 60-year-old man, is sent by his wife to the doctor for a physical checkup. The doctor examines the man and he says, you're in terrific shape. You have the body of a 24-year-old. I have never seen such a thing. This is amazing. By the way, you're 60 today, so young you look. How old was your father when he died? The 60-year-old responds to the doctor and he says, who told you that my father was dead? He says, really, your father is still alive? How old is he and is he active? He says, my father is 83 years old. He still goes skiing three times a season. He goes surfing three times a week during the summer. The doctor is like, wow, that's amazing. How old was your grandfather when he died? 60-year-old says to him, who said that my grandfather is dead? He says, this is astounding. You're 60 years old and your father and your grandfather are alive? Is your grandfather also active? Is he with it? How old is he? Just my grandfather, he's 105 years old. He still goes into the store every single morning, 7.45, and he works a full day. He even goes to the gym from 5 to 6 p.m. And not only that, next week, he's getting married. <laughs> the doctor says, your grandfather is 105 years old. Why in the world would he get married? He says, I'll tell you, who says he wants to get married? His mother is putting tremendous pressure on him. Another anecdote, there's a guy, you may have heard of him, I'm not sure, before he was uh, elected, Mr. Trump, went to Florida to campaign. So when you go to Florida to campaign, you'll go to an old age home, a home for assistant living, as they call it today. Trump walks in, and he meets a 99-year-old woman, Kamayan Lara. He says to her, do you know who I am? She says, no, my son, who are you? You don't know who I am? I don't know who you are, my Malachul, who are you? The whole world knows who I am. You don't know who I am? I don't. How do you not know who I am? Look at my stature. Look at the blonde hair. Look at the charm. Look at the brilliance. Look at the eloquence. Look at the charisma. Look at the handsomeness. How do you not know who I am? Every person today speaks about me. And she says, listen, you can get angry, but I don't know who you are. You tell me who you are. He is now outraged. You tell me right now who I am. Another woman who's 89 years old comes over to him. She gives him a little letter ledge and says, relax, relax, I'll call the head nurse. And she'll tell you who you are. Don't be so upset, this happens very often around here. 
point. Just in a few moments, you'll figure it out. But I hope you realize that both of these anecdotes, I think in some way, capture very profoundly the great celebration of this evening. And I'll tell you why. I don't know how many of you are history buffs. Exactly a hundred years ago, we're now Tovshinai and Zion. Exactly one century ago, Tovresh Ayin Zion, 1917, was a very eventful year in history. For those of us like myself, who come from Russia, parents and grandparents, 1917 was the year of the Bolshevik Revolution. Tsarist monarchy was obliterated, and the Red government ultimately takes over after a civil war. Russia of hundreds of years is transformed with the Bolshevik Revolution and ultimately leadership goes to Lenin, Trotsky, and then of course, Stalin, who murders 50 million people. That's 1917. 1917 is also in the thicket of the First World War, which was then known not as the First World War, for obvious reasons, but as the Great War. It's the year when finally the US comes into the war and declares war in Germany. It's that war that the world never recovered from. It redrew the maps of Europe and naturally was the catalyst and springboard for the Second World War and the Holocaust, which affected, of course, every person in this room and a third of our people and all of our people. 1917. But 1917, something else happened. You won't find it if you Google 1917 in history, as I did. You won't find this. But it's equally important, equally significant. There was another revolution created, but this one, not the revolution that changed the map of a country or a continent, a revolution of one person, literally of one human being, a person who seemed like a simple seamstress, a young woman from a Hasidische Belza family living in Krakow in Poland, and in Tafresh Ayin Zion, despite the fact that her brother thinks she's absolutely crazy, most people think she is absolutely crazy, and for good reason. Many rabbis think her suggestions are insane. One woman, recently divorced, an impoverished life she lived, had to run from Krakow to Vienna because of the Great War came back, a difficult marriage that ended in a disaster. And her second marriage would happen at the end of her life when she would die childless. And yet this one individual, Sarah Schneer, in 1917, in Tafresh Ayin opens up the first base Yaakov in Krakow, Tafresh Ayin with just a small classroom of girls. And when the zealots of Krakow, you know, in every Jewish community you have the Kanoim, take rocks and throw it at the windows of Sarish Nir's new Beis Yaakov, 
and the rocks come through the window and they fall there on the ground, what does she say? She turns to those little girls, the little innocent angelic girls. She picks up the stone and she says, with these, we will lay the foundations of a new base Yaakov. Here she was paraphrasing a line in Gemara, Menachez Dav Choftes. The Gemara says about Rabbi Akiva that Hashem told Moshe, I'll call koitz v'koitz, asid lidroish tilei tilim Literally, on every koitz. You know what a koitz is? You remember from the Bishakov years? A koitz is those little zions, those little thorns, those little lines that adorn seven letters of the Sefer Torah. They have those little charming lines that look like little zions. On top they're called koitzim, which means thorns. But of course, it doesn't mean thorns, it means little zions. Rabbi Akiva is going to study and discover on every one of those lines mounds and mounds of Allah. The Gemara couldn't find a better expression than koits, thorns. Tagim is what we call them, koits. And one of the interpretations is Rabbi Akiva understood something very profound. What he personified was, I'll call koits v'koits. Every thorn that perforated the Jewish soul and the Jewish body by the Roman Empire, including the thorns that perforated Rabbi Akiva himself, as the Gemara says in the end of Brachas. Every thorn became a catalyst, a springboard from mountains of halacha. That's how Rabbi Akiva treated the thorns. That's what Sarish Nira said about those rocks that broke her windows. And indeed, indeed, she died a young woman at the age of 52, other Tofresh Sadiq, 1935 in Krakow on a Friday night in front of her Shabbos candles, surrounded by her spiritual children, her students. A day later, she was buried in Krakow. Two years later, Tofresh Sadiq Zion, the Beis Yaakov movement could say that it had 248 schools across Eastern Europe with 40,000 students, all created, mentored, guided, directed from curriculums to schedules, from training teachers to training principals by one individual woman who felt the need, heard the call, and managed to get not only the endorsement but the enthusiastic, passionate approval of people like Rebel, the Belzer Rebbe, Rebbe Sachadoy, who her brother went to, to tell her that she should relax and just be a good Ehrlich seamstress. And instead the Belzer Rebbe said, great idea, to the Chafetz Chaim, who then in his commentary in Lekutei Halach, the Chafal of the famous Gemara, that speaks about girls learning the Chafetz Chaim, wrote about the uniqueness of this generation, the 1920s and 30s, from the Gera Rebbe Nimrei Emes to Reb Chaim for most of the G'dayli Yisrael, not all, but most of the generation who knew that she was presenting the voice of our Sinai, the voice of eternity. And her name came nowhere but from that Pasuk in Yisrael that we just heard a few days ago. So Chazal say the Mechilte Rashi Shmois Rabbah 
What is the redundancy? Beis Yaakov, Bnei Yisrael is the same thing. The house of Yaakov, the children of Yisrael. Beis Yaakov, Elu HaNoshim, Bnei Yisrael, Elu HaNoshim. Matan Torah had to be communicated first to women and then to men. So she named, of course, the movement of her schools Beis Yaakov. But two years later, September 1st, 1939, Yudzayin a whole new thorn perforates not only Krakow, but all of Eastern Europe. And in the next five dark, hellish years, unprecedented in the annals of human history and Jewish history, it's not one thorn, it's not two thorns. Six million of our brothers and sisters, most of the 40,000 students, those beautiful, angelic, heavenly girls, learning in Beis Yaakov with decimated gas with their parents and siblings, grandparents, nieces and nephews, and then in 1942, a new miracle happens. From that koitz v'koitz, from that response of Sarishnir in 1917, and Rabbi Akiva in 130 after the Common Era, 1700 years earlier, Jews, refugees, broken and impoverished, dejected and often mocked by the scenes here in the United States of America, decide that from the koitzim, we have to create tilei tilim shalalochois. And 75 years later, those of us who were not born in 1917, were not even born in 1942, were not even born when Kennedy was shot, or when Johnson hung out in Vietnam, and some of us even when Nixon went, those of us who are uh, Americana Chakalatniks, suddenly are here observing what some of us take for granted but nobody should because it's nothing short of a miracle as you could see the tilei tilim shel halachais in a glorious institution today the flagship of Beis Yaakov the world over with 2,000 kenyirbu b'nois Yisrael students Beis Yaakov elu anoshim here umimena yoitza oyre lechala oylem kuloi from where their light and their spirit and their ruach and their love and their passion and their idealism and their dedication, devotion and faith literally casts its glow throughout the world. Now Sarishnir knew what everybody knew, that there were always individual women who got a pretty good education. You had the mayors, Bruria, you probably, some of you read one of the introduction of the Chalvis Yoyer, when he writes about his Baba. I always found it fascinating. If you take a look at Igris Moshe, Chelek Ches, volume 8 of uh, Reb Moshe Feinstein's Atzal's Shuvus. His family tell a story that Moshe's father's name was Reb David. Reb David, as Reb Moshe, was an anecdote of Reb Avraham, the brother of the Vilna Gong. Of course, a grandson also of the Be'er HaGoyla. Say from Milo Satoyda, Reb Avram was the brother of the Gro. Reb David was an anecdote of his. Reb David had a grandmother, her name was Rachel. So Reb Moshe tells the story, it's in Igris Moshe there. His grandmother Rachel was a curious, inquisitive woman. She was also brilliant and she had a passion for learning and wisdom. And where was she born? She was born in a little town called Liozhna. Liozhna is a little towny village, I've been there in Belarus. 
And her father, Reb David Zeltazade, did not know what to do with his Rachel. She couldn't serve just as a teamstress and read Senna Orena and say Tehillim with her Baba as they lit the Shabbos candles and told stories from Senna Orena, etc. Or say for Ayosha. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay, you look it up. It's good to know what Senna Orena is and say for Ayosha. You'll ask Yelta Baba tonight. She'll tell you. <laughs> so he didn't know what's Tutma with Rachel. What do we do with Rachel? So Reb Moshe says, you know what he did? Fascinating. He went to the spiritual giant in the Rav of Liyajna, who was the Balatanya. The Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya of Hashem was in Liyajna. He said, what do I do with him? So Reb Moshe is Bob, Elter Bob. The Balatanya said, under the circumstances, we have to put her in Hayden. So Moshe says, my Baba got a designated place in Chayt in the corner of the room. And who was her classmate? The Tzemach Tzedek. The Balatanya's grandson, who was an orphan and was raised by his Aiden. Okay, so these were individual women. What Sarishnir understood very well is that it can't be any more individual women who are geniuses, but rather it has to become the destiny and the right of every single Jewish girl. Now, many people think, justifiably, that Sarah Shneer's vision was based on the fact that she saw rampant assimilation. As she writes, the boys and the fathers were getting on the trains and running to the Rebbe's in Poland. And this is the, 19, the early 1900s. And the girls have to go to secular schools according to the law. They are completely losing touch with Yiddishkeit. They have no education. There was conversion, literally conversion in Krakow and many other places, assimilation or complete estrangement, even if there was not complete assimilation. And Sarah Shneer says you have to save a generation. And that's what the Chafetz Chaim writes in his Lakute Alochis. But there was really something even more profound about that vision. And I think that tonight, a hundred years later, that may be relevant as much as in 1917, and maybe, if I'm not mistaken, even more. And I want to address this. There are two elements of Yiddishkeit, two elements of Torah. If I could say, there is the voice of the man in Torah, and there is the voice of the woman in Torah. It's described clearly in the Tanakh. The voice of the man is described where? Malachi. I can't ask the men for a posse Tanakh, but maybe some of the Beis Yaakov graduates remember. Malachi, Perik Beis. What does the posse say there? Teiras Emes. Hoysa Befi. Who? Teiras defined as Teiras defined as Teiras Emes. Teiras of truth was in his mouth. But what about the Teiras of the woman? This Shleim Melech describes at the end of Mishlei Proverbs, we say it Friday night. What's the difference? Is truth not kind? Is kind not truth? Now, come through the whole Tanakh. And whenever Chesed and Emes are mentioned together, which one comes first? Go through it. Eliezer, Asayi Madi, Chesed Right? 
Tehillim. Chesed v'yemes, nifgosh. Every morning you give him in the Sarachamim. Hashem, Hashem, Kerachim, Bechanan, Erech, Apayim, Mirav, Chesed v'yemes. In other words, wherever you go in Tanakh, you will see that Chesed precedes the word Emes. Hence, it's obvious why before the man, Torah's Chesed precedes Torah's Emes. What is this Torah called Torah's Chesed versus Torah's Emes? The Chidush Yorin says, I saw before on the video, the Pasuk says, Shema B'ni Musa Ravich. You hear the difference? Listen to the Musa of your father. Don't abandon the Torah of your mother. Why is your father's Torah called Musa? And your mother's called Torah. And why by your father do you have to listen? And by your mother you don't have to listen. Don't let go. So the Chidusha Harim says, the Gemara says, when you're in the womb of your mother, you learn the whole Torah. And then when you go out, the Malach slaps you under your nose and you forget the whole Torah. And that's why they told us we have this little thing under our nose. So when I asked my teacher, why do the Japanese have it? He gave me a potch as strong as the Malach's potch. I don't know which potch was stronger. I think it's a good question, but anyway, fine. Maybe the Japanese have their own Torah, Shavu Mitzvah Bnei Noyach. Sugihara's Torah wasn't so bad. Also connected to Beis Yaakov. Kobe. So the Kiddush Arim says as follows. Why do you teach people the whole Torah if they're going to forget it? Okay. So let me tell you my contemporary little shot. You'll forgive me. And that is, the Gemara is trying to say one thing. You can teach a child the whole Torah, a boy or a girl. The whole Torah. And then somebody comes and gives them one slap, physically or emotionally, or verbally, and they forget everything. And don't think the person who gave them that slap is necessarily a wicked man. He may be a malach. He may be a holy Jew, but he or she insulted, denigrated, slapped, and destroyed the identity the joy and the holiness of that child. They forget the whole Torah. Chidush Yarim says, you know when you hear a nigit, you hear a song, and you love it, you're crazy about it. And then a week later, you forget it. And you say, remind me, remind me that nigit that we heard at the wedding. Not that, not that, not that, not that. I forgot it. And then somebody sings it. Ah, that's it. Ah, you forgot it. You forgot it. But if somebody says it, sings it, you know it's it. Says the Chidush Sharim, everybody knows the whole title. Everybody knows it. We forgot it. When you hear it, you're like, ah, that's it. That's why all good teachers know that you never teach anything to your students that they don't know already. How do I know I'm hearing Torah? If what I hear, I already know. It resonates. It's a niggin, but it's a gedenk. My father can give me Torah The Torah of your mother, the Torah that resonates in you, that is in you. Don't let it go. Torah's Emes represents the Torah of truth. 
Torah's chesed represents the Torah that's filled with song, warmth, passion, kindness, love, dedication, loyalty, faith. It's the core of Torah. It's the string theory of Judaism. It's the backdrop of Torah. Every sugi in Torah, whether from Ribis to Mukta, from Erevin to Shoshanagach, from Pigul Noisa or Krishma Psachet, every sugi is ultimately a manifestation of chesed, namely the relationship between Hashem and the Jew, the intimacy between Hashem and the Jew. That's the Torah's chesed of the feminine voice. That's one component of her Torah. But there's something else. The Klayakar was no feminist. And yet, I'm always astounded when he says in Shlach, Shlach Lecha Anoshim. You know what the Klayakar says? Klayakar says, Hashem told Moshe, if it was up to me, don't send men, only women. Don't send men, they're going to ruin it. Some things don't change. <laughs> only women, only they shot the girls. You don't send anybody else. The men are going to come back, they're going to be frightened. The women, the Chavavoyces arts. I was lecturing the other day, and it was a group a little different than this group, but I won't elaborate what type of group it was. Somebody raises her hand at the question of the woman, and she says, is it true that ortho isn't it true that Orthodox people view women as second-class citizens? I said, sure, meet my mother-in-law. <laughs> meet my mother, meet my wife, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, why do you say so? They say, look, everything is run by men. Everything. Everything. A minion. You want a minion? Ten people. Barchuk, Dusha. No women, only men. Second-class citizens. And the whole Torah, everything is men, 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 men. So listen, I don't know which Bible you're reading, but I'll tell you the Bible that I read. There was once a husband and a wife, they came to a rabbi, they were Shalom Bayez problems. I know Borough Park has no issues with that. And the rabbi says, what's the issue? And the woman says, you know, we're just not nothing going on. It's a horrible marriage. And he tells the husband, what's happening? What's the problem? And the husband says, listen, when we got married, she made a deal. The deal was, all the big decisions you make, I don't mix in. All the small decisions I make, you don't mix in. It was great. What else does a man have to hear? It's not working out that way. 20 years later, it's not. The rabbi turns to her and says, what happened? She says, he didn't understand what I meant. What I meant was very simple. All the big decisions in life. For example, what do we do about global warming? What do we do about Russia trying to manipulate our elections? What do we do about Syria, Afghanistan, Egypt, Libya, Iran, Iraq? What do we do? This I don't mix in. You decide, you tell Trump, tell Netanyahu, tell Kushner, and I will stay out. You don't even have to consult me. All the small decisions in life. For example, where we live, which show we don't step foot into, where we send our kids to school, how many pairs of shoes I buy an hour? Small, inconsequential decisions that matter not to nobody. That's my turf, you don't mix it. So I said, now, you go through with me the whole safe of Horatius. And that's exactly the story. All the small decisions they allow men to make. The big decisions? For example, who decided Adam should eat from the tree of knowledge? That was a pretty big decision. 
decision if you ask me. Who decided, for example, that Yishmael is not living in the house with Yitzchak? Who, a man or a woman? Who decided that Light is going to have an experience with his daughters? He was busy at the Kiddush Club. It was all his daughters. That was a pretty big decision. Mayav, Rus, Oivid, Yishai, David, Mashiach. Who decided that Peretz and Zerach are going to be born from Yehuda and Talmud? Yehuda thought he's going to Shavashudas. Who decided that Yaakov and not Esau are getting the brachas? You thought I was joking that the women run the show. Who decided? You don't learn Chumash, that's the problem. You have to learn Chumash. They learn Chumash. Men are also allowed to learn Chumash, the Shatnash. Who decided Yaakov should get the brachas? Who decided Yaakov should marry the wrong woman? Two sisters in cahoots. Who decided that Moshe should be retrieved from the river? I think that was a pretty big decision. A woman, not even a Jewish woman. So I told her, listen, Ebbetson, I don't know which Bible you're learning, but my Bible, the women make the big decisions that change history. The men decide, jalapeno herring, jalapeno herring or sponge cake. That's basically what we allow the men to decide. Who's going to be the Gabba, who's going to be the Chaz? She says, so why don't you allow us to be in the minion? I said, Ebbetson, let me give you a basic education about a minion. The Gemara says in Megillah, how do we know a minion is 10 people? How do we know a minion is 10 people? The answer is, where do we learn it out from? The Miraglin. Ad Mosai, La'eda, Hara, Hazois. How long will we have this evil community? It was 10 people. We learned from here that Ada is 10 people. Vinigdashti besoich b'nei Yisrael. Ask it toich toich. He bottled me toich o Ada. Vinigdashti besoich. All from the Miraglim. In other words, every minion is trying to fix the sin of the Miraglim. It's a compliment that women are not part of the minion. We can't daven on our own. We can't daven on our own. We need 10 people because we're back to the Miraglim. And the reason is, there's a reason for it. The reason I explained to her is explained because the Miraglim were not small people. Svasemes explains about the time the Miraglim were big people. The Miraglim had an issue. What was their issue? Their issue was they said, why would you go into Yisrael when you could live in a spiritual utopia, in a desert, in a cocoon, an Edom of Kest. They were living in the clouds, pun intended. With the man, with the Be'er Shomirim, why would you go into a physical land, Eretz, Oicheles, Yoishvel, where politics and bureaucracy will overwhelm and stifle the spirit of intimacy with the Rebbeinu Shalom? They did not want to go down into a real physical world that will destroy the Ruchnius and the Dveikus that was present in the desert. Why didn't the women make the same mistake? And the answer is because... There's a difference between Torah's emes and Torah's chesed. In the Torah of men, there's often a separation between ruchnius and gashmius. In the Torah of woman, the physical is spiritual. The spiritual is physical in the very psyche and soul of women. 
The Torah of heaven and the Torah of earth are completely unified. I told her that's why you don't give an aliyah to women. Why don't you give an aliyah? What does aliyah mean? Aliyah means elevated. Why are you being elevated? You're in a low place, and through coming to the Torah, we elevate you to the Torah. That's the role of man. To elevate Olam Haza to Ruchmiyas. The role of the woman is to reveal. The very physical experience of life. The physical experience of creating a family, of nurturing children, of creating a home, or whatever her vocation is. The ability of seeing in the body, the soul, in earth, heaven, in Gashmius Ruchmius, and in Chitsoinius Pnimius. Men have a Yamulka. Yamulka means Kabolas O Malchushamayim is above me. Where is the Rebbeinu Shalom? On top of me. For a woman, that would be insulting. That would be degrading her entire spiritual mission to reveal that the Gansin Guf is a Yamulka. The whole physical existence is permeated with Hashem. That's a different experience. Torah's Chesed that precedes Torah's Emes. Finally, there's a third component. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, masculine. Shechina, feminine. Hashem is masculine or feminine? We like saying he. That's not true. God is she as much as he or it. We say he. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is he. Shechina is lost in the cave. It's feminine. What is it? The answer is Abchayim Balozhin explains in the Nefesh Achayim. It's explained already by the Maharal, Kisve Ariz, Kisve Achsidus. Moe Vishemesh, Beimayim Chaim, Naimalem Elechdush, Aslevi, Tanul Desvar. Shechina comes from the word Vishachanti. Shoichenes umislabeshesh, Toif Palalman. Lach Yosef. Shechina represents Hashem that is inside of me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu represents Hashem that transcends me. Rabbi said there's two types of mitzvahs. One way of looking at mitzvahs is Hashem speaks to me. Another way of looking at mitzvahs is Hashem speaks through me. Why are women potter from Purvu? Does that make sense? <laughs> We're chayim, they're potter. What's that? What's pshat? Pshat is, you have to tell me to do Purvu. If not, I go to eat kugel. A woman you don't have to tell. Her very mitzias, her very system, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, as the Chazal put it, is wired for relationships. Different type. Mitzvah's painless loss of love. Really? No mitzvah's loss of love? Pshat is, today we need the mitzvah to command us. Hashem has to speak to me. He speaks through me. You're one with the mitzvah. The mitzvah speaks within yourself. It's not a commandment to yourself. Your very identity is divine. That's the Torah of women. Now I ask you a question. It's 2017. Look around Borough Park. Look around New York. Look around Israel. Look at every Jewish community in the world. Look at the schools, look at the classrooms, look at the graduates, look at the young alike, look at the families, look at the teenagers. Go from Lakewood to Muncie, from Chicago to Toronto, from Yerushalayim to B'nai Brak, from Borough Park to Williamsburg, and look around. And I ask you, isn't it not true that a hundred years later, Koisoy Malabes Yaakov is one of the critical 
vital guarantees of a successful, happy, meaningful, devoted Jewish future. Torah's MS, Avada. But we so desperately need to impart Torah's Chesed. That a child growing up should feel the beauty, the Geschmack, the Varietite, the depth, the sophistication, and the love. Number two, that the physical and the spiritual are not two separate worlds. That Yiddishkeit did not come to create spiritual ascetics or zombies who must run away from themselves, their personality and individuality to be Erlichiyid. No, the truth of Yiddishkeit permeates every aspect of the world. And number three, mitzvahs is not only what God speaks to me, it's what he speaks through me. If I go deep, deep into my identity, I will find every mitzvah. As the famous Moira Naim of Ayishlach Avraham Esiyadai. So my dear friends, a few years before Sarah Shneer opened the first Beis Yaakov, Sarah Shneer went to Vienna. That's where she was inspired very heavily by a Talmud of Shem Shem Rafal Hirsch. It's a whole separate story. In Vienna at that time, there was a Jew who came there, like many Jews who escaped to Vienna, Austria, the Kapishnitzer In Vienna, there was also a little girl, a teenager, before the Besyakov days. Her name was Rachel Schiff. Rachel Schiff had a heavenly voice. Vienna was the center of opera in the world. Produced the greatest musicians, the greatest opera singers. Somebody once went into the house of Rachel Shiv and heard a 16-year-old girl singing in the kitchen. He worked for the opera. He came to her and he said, you must come sing the Vienna Opera. First of all, I will turn you into a world-renowned celebrity overnight. A voice like yours is Nishtar. Second of all, instead of struggling with livelihoods, you'll become a powerful and wealthy woman. It's 16, 16, Vienna. There's no basic alcohols. Very little education, very little inspiration, very little atmosphere for girls. The boys gain Satishan or Rosh Hashivas, and the girls don't have that. Sarah Schneider essentially became a Shtikol Rebbe, if you know what she used to do. See, like Zingian or Tansen was Lebedic, the girls got a pride, a dignity, a stolz, a Goyakov. That was her part of her brilliance. She tells her parents, I'm going. Her parents were, were they were They said, Rachel, it's not for a Jewish girl to be in the Vienna opera. She wants to go. They couldn't persuade her otherwise. So they took her to the Kapishnitzer Rebbe. Kapishnitzer Rebbe asked to be alone. And he asked her, what are you searching for? Interesting. He didn't scream at her. He didn't chastise her. He didn't go with Musa Ravich. He went with Torah Simeh. Remember, you can always speak to your child from the father's Musa or from the mother's Torah. You could sing to them the nigin that they heard in the womb, or you could start giving a Musa speech. It's a very different Torah, and the results are very different. The Kapishnat Tzereb is speaking to a little girl. Rachel Shev, Tairasina. What are you looking for? What void do you want to fill? And she said, 
I want to change the world. 16-year-old girl, I want to change the world. I want to have an impact on the whole world. The Kapishnitzer Rebbe could have said one of two things. What would you say to such a girl? Eh! That's not what he said. He said, I'll help you change the world. But I want you shouldn't only change the world. I want you should enjoy the change forever. And I want that the change should be eternal. A voice is awesome. What if I could promise you that you'll build a family and you'll have a child who will illuminate the world? It will be your voice because a child is a product of a mother and your voice will illuminate the world. And Rachel Schiff was not stupid. She said, Rebbe, got a deal. A little while later, a few years later, she married a young man. His name was Yosef Tzvi. His last name was Vosner. This was 1914, 1913, 1912, the year that the Titanic sunk, two years before the Great War broke out, five years before Bishanta was created. A year later, she gave birth to a little baby whom they named Shmuel. 102 years later, the first day of Pesach, Tovshin Ayinhei, 2015, two years ago, Rabbi Shmuel Vosner passed on. Hundreds of thousands of Jews escorted him on his final journey with Svarim Shevet Halevi and Talmidim that illuminated the entire world of Halacha in our generation. This was Rachel Shev's son. So I heard one of the Mashiachim and I saw, I was speaking, and I read the story, but you know stories by us, some of them, if even, sometimes I feel like a So I asked him, you know, he's been around, I said, this is a Baba Maisa, or uh, a Pesachah. So he tells me, he went to the Shmuel once, and he said, in Gaz, the salesman, in the street, they say the story about your mother. It's true or not true? Shreb Shmuel Vosna Zechernel of Racha Desheveth HaLevi told him, listen, I don't know if it's true. It happened before I was born. I can tell you two things. My mama of Gehat HaShtimah from Ganei, when my mother sang in the house, privately between us, it was paradise. I can tell you one more thing. The day I left home, to go to Yeshiva's Chachmi Lublin, Yachem, that Rev. Meir Shapiro founded in the late 20s in Lublin. My mother said goodbye to me. Tears were streaming down her eyes, which was not surprising, a mother saying goodbye to a child, and it wasn't like today, where your child has to call every two and a half hours. And if not, you sue the school. You went to school for six years, you didn't show up. You know how it was. Shut. Yeshiva Chachem Lublin. Shmuel says, before I left, 
my mother looked at me and said, my Zoom, I want to ask you, use your time well. Grow and climb in Abbas Hashem, in Abbas Atayra, and in Abbas Yisrael. Because I want you to know, I gave up a lot for this moment. He said she didn't tell me what. I didn't ask. I understood her heart and I moved on and I did what I did. So he said, that's the confirmation I got. But I'll tell you what I learned from this. 2,000 girls that study in this school, each of them has a dream. Every one of our children has a dream. Every one of our girls has a dream. Every one of our boys has a dream. Every person has a dream. The revolution of Beis Yaakov was, don't destroy dreams. Help people channel their dreams. Allow their voices, allow their music, allow their neshama, allow their passion, allow their wisdom, allow their conviction to resonate and allow them to creatively express themselves in the way that Hashem allowed them to give our people and our world that unique life and that unique love and that unique fire that Torah's Chesed brings to Klal Yisrael then and today. 75 years later, I think we could say we have observed a miracle. And tonight we say to the leadership of Beis Yaakov, to the parent body, to the board, to the supporters, and of course to the heroes of Beis Yaakov, the Talmidos and their first mother, their first spiritual mother, Sarah we could say today, Hundreds of thousands of Jewish families the world over were built mountains of Allah from all those kites and from all those thorns. And thus, we could say tonight, Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.